Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We've been talking about, since I've been doing Wednesday nights, and I think I missed two Wednesday nights, is that correct? And I think, Rich, you taught last Wednesday. And um, who taught the Wednesday before that? But oh, you, We watched Joseph Morris in End of Days Update. But we've been in a series entitled Growing Up Spiritually. Because there are similarities between spiritual growth and natural growth. And the Bible talks a lot about this. Actually, before we go to 1 Thessalonians, would you go to Ephesians 4, please, Tina? And I want you to look at a verse here before we go to the other one. These are all letters to the church. And it's God's will that we grow up spiritually, just like it's your parents' will that you grow up physically. It's a very sad thing for people not to grow up. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's addressing Christians here, of course. And let's look here at verse 14. Ephesians 4.14, Paul gives some instruction just before this about being in unity and sitting under teachers and preachers, God said in the church. He says, these teachers, these preachers that the Lord's given to the church, he says, they're here for you for one reason, that you... From now on, be no more children. He's talking to physical adults here. But he's talking to spiritual children. He's talking to a congregation of adults, just like we're gathered here tonight. But he tells these, this congregation of physical adults that henceforth, from now on, be no more children. Tossed to and fro. Carried about with every wind of teaching by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And then he gives some more instruction there about how to come out of this childhood state. But I wanted to show you this because God, it's God's plan that the church grow up. When there's reasonable time that's gone by, there needs to be measurable progress. Everybody say measurable progress in reasonable time. It's important to the Lord that we develop spiritually. And there's a lot of similarities between spiritual growth and natural growth. Well, this verse right here says that spiritual children can't be relied on. They're unsteady. They're tossed to and fro. You can't really put them in high positions because they haven't quite got to that level of maturity yet where they understand spiritual things and the things of God and the importance of their part in the church. And you have to you know, realize that's... And if you're a child, that's a-okay. But if 20 years, you're still a child... That's not A-OK anymore. There needs to be some spiritual development going on. And we talked for a while about the traits of a spiritual baby, the traits and characteristics of a spiritual child, and the traits and characteristics of a spiritual man or manhood spiritually. And tonight I want to continue along those lines and talk some more about traits of a spiritual man or a spiritual woman. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and it's actually going to be a little different... uh, Emphasis tonight, but it's right in line with what we've been talking about. So 1 Thessalonians, Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica, in chapter 1, verse 3. Am I correct on that? No, I'm not. All right, hang on here. Maybe it's 2 Thessalonians 1, 3. 2 Thessalonians, I'm sorry. It was a typo in my notes, too. Anybody interested in growing up? Yes. Cool thing about growing up spiritually is God can use you more, promote you, turn up the power of prosperity, increase you, 
make you a bigger influence, trust you with more power, more anointing, higher levels of ministry. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, look here, he says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet. Now, what's Paul so excited about? <laughs> because that your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward it. Excuse me. Every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. So their faith was growing exceedingly, and their love was abounding, and Paul said, Woo! This is awesome! I think we should be excited about what God's excited about. Right. What Paul's excited about. People that know, you know further ahead than we are spiritually. Paul said, this is cool, you guys. Your faith is growing exceedingly. And the love of every one of you abounds. And that's a really good thing. Well, I wanted to share this with you for a few minutes tonight because there's a striking parallel between growing in faith and growing up spiritually going from childhood to manhood. There's something about growing in faith that parallels with maturing spiritually. Now you and I all know some of the scriptures about we walk by faith, not by sight. Right? We know that if you're going to walk by faith, you're going to be doing a lot of things you don't feel like doing. Right? right? If you're going to walk by faith, you're going to walk independent of circumstances at times. When you used to just react to circumstances, now you don't react to circumstances. You react according to what you believe more than what you feel. And that, you can just tell by a few things I just said right there, that's a mark of spiritual maturity. To not be body ruled. To not always talk about what you're feeling. To not always act on what you're feeling. I mean, I mean this is a trait. I mean, you know in the natural, right? A baby feels it, they cry. Right? They're tickled, they laugh. Very feeling-oriented. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says that to be body-ruled in life is a, is a trait of a baby Christian, even the stage before childhood. It's called carnality. More moved by the carnal senses than your heart and faith in what God said. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in this world and even coming against your life that is not in line with the Word of God. And we have to watch out about inviting that stuff to take a deeper root in our life by talking about it all the time, acting on it all the time, like it's the highest authority, this is the truth. No, the truth is what God said. Truth. Because a lot of times you're not going to feel like this is true, but if God said it's true, it's true. There may be days or mornings you feel like, I don't feel like a world overcomer. I don't feel like I'm forgiven. I don't feel like I'm more than a conqueror. But God said I am, so I'm going to just get up and dress like more than a conqueror. Brush my teeth like more than a conqueror. Leave the house like more than a conqueror. Go to work like more than a conqueror. And what, what's going to happen? Well, any feelings that are not right that are in you are going to have to change because faith changes how you feel. Your feelings will follow your faith. But a lot of people's faith is following their feelings and that's why they never get out of problems. They see things sustained in their life that could have been overcome a long time ago. Faith is powerful stuff. Faith created the universe. Through faith, we understand that the worlds uh, were framed by the Word of God. So, faith can grow and faith should grow. And as it grows, that's a sign you're growing spiritually. Let me show this to you more clearly. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at Paul's letter to the, the Hebrew Christians. This is really interesting here. One of my favorite passages of scriptures in the whole New Testament. 
It's about Moses and about him growing up and about how there were certain things that started showing up in his life after he grew up spiritually. In um, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24, what's the first two words? By faith. Moses, when he was come to years. Now we could read it like this. Moses grew up and he started living more by faith. Right. I mean, you can read some of these scriptures backwards and just to get a more clear meaning. By faith, Moses, comma, when he was come to years or when he matured, spiritually refused to be called the son of of Pharaoh's daughter. Go to the next couple of verses, Tina. <laughs> Moses, by faith, chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. What's this a sign of? The dude grew up. Right. Here he's, he's saying no to what most of the world and half of the church is foaming at the mouth to get. And Moses is saying no to that because he realizes the call of God and the things of God and the people of God is more important to me than all the riches of the world. Because if he would have not, if he would have chose to stay in Pharaoh's household, he could have been Pharaoh. He could have been the upcoming Pharaoh. He could have ruled the known world. And then he could have delivered Israel that way. Hey, I'm Pharaoh now. Israel, go free. But that wasn't the way the Lord planned it and that wasn't God's plan for his life. God had a different way to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses grew up to the fact and to the point where he realized, you know what? This is not how God wants it to happen. I'm going to hook up with the people of God, even though it's not comfortable, even though there's some suffering involved, because I love the Lord and I believe His way is better than this in the long run. How many of you remember the name of Pharaoh back in these days? Pharaoh who? What was his first name? Anybody know his first? No, we, of course we don't. Because he didn't make the Bible. Moses made the Bible. Right. 4,000 years later, we're still talking about the guy. They're making movies about him. Now back then, they're probably saying, Moses, you fool! Man, you're riding right next to Pharaoh. Man, you got gold around your neck. You live in a palace. You could be the next Pharaoh. What are you doing, you fool? I mean, a lot of times, when you put the Lord first and you grow up spiritually... Carnal people think you're crazy. People that are more worldly minded think you're a little off. It's just like the scripture, the flesh less against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other. As you begin to grow in the Lord, you begin to see things from a higher eternal level. Your mind's not just on 60, 70, 80 years anymore. You know, you know, living to be 80, living to be 100 years old, do you realize that's like a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away compared to eternity? In all reality, a few more clicks, we're all out of here. Out of here. This earth life, this earth life is the shortest thing we will ever do throughout all eternity. Shortest thing we'll ever do. How many think we should be thinking about what our life here is going to do to the next life? That's what people need to be thinking about. Well, he said he grew up, chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses grew up and realized this pleasure, this sin that produces this temporary pleasure is not what I want. Right. 
Next verse. Moses, by faith, he esteemed or, you know, reckoned the reproach of Christ greater riches, because it is, than the treasures in Egypt. For Moses, by faith, had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Next verse. By faith, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. See, faith sees things that other people don't see. It's called the eye of faith. You see things by faith. When you look at the Word of God, you don't just see Bible stories. You see life. And you see you in these verses. And you see God and you mixing together. Turn to Hebrews 11. You're still in Hebrews 11. Look at verse 3. And I want to say this too before we read this next verse. Moses, here's how you could read that, first, that 24th verse. Moses grew up and started living by faith. He started living more by what God said than what he felt. He started living more by what God wanted for his life than what he might want for his life. This is a huge sign of spiritual development. You start living more according to the will of God than even your own will. Remember the prayer of Jesus? Father, not my will, but your will be done. And he was talking about following the plan of God for his life. Don't use, that, don't use that prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden when it comes to healing. Different kind of prayer. It's the will of God that you're healed. You don't have to pray if it be thy will, Lord, let me have some healing. He's, he already wants you healed. This is talking about seeking the plan of God for your life. Consecrating to his will. Should I live here? Should I live there? Should I go here? Should I go there? You don't know that, so you have to say if it be thy will. When it comes to healing, you can read the Bible and know that it's his will that you're healed. But there's nowhere in the scripture that says... Son, live in Colorado. Live in Grand Junction. You don't pray about that and say, Lord, if it's your will, I'll go to Colorado. If it's your will, I'll go to New York. If it's your will, I'll go to Africa. That's not in the Bible, so you've got to pray, Lord, if it be thy will. But when it comes to what's already in the Word, you don't have to pray if it be thy will. Right. Different kind of prayer. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Now look at Hebrews 11 and verse 3. This whole chapter talks about faith. The entire chapter about David's faith and Moses' faith and Enoch's faith and Samson's faith and Joseph and Jacob and all these guys. But it starts off here in verse, well, one, but let's look at verse 3. God said, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed. That's a whole other subject. Worlds, uh, plural. We can go on that. We'll talk about that in our Sunday night Bible study, maybe. Worlds, uh. Uh, Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, I want to apply this to your personal life here. This is, this is how God created the universe. Things that are seen, the stars, the planets, the chairs, everything, all the elements came into being, including ourselves, by the word of God when he spoke it and believed it would come to pass. The Bible talks about, have not the faith of God with respect of persons. This is the faith of God in operation here. You know one of the reasons we need to study faith, understand faith, and live by faith? Because it's how God lives. He's highly developed. I mean, come on, he is the master, right? He spoke and worlds came into existence. 
And the Lord Jesus constantly tried to teach the people of his day how to operate in degrees of this God kind of faith. He even told them one time, he said, hey, have the God kind of faith. Because he just cursed the fig tree and it died. And they were freaking out that his words had such power. And he said, listen, whoever, not just me. Come on, you're the offspring of God. Come on, get a vision. You're not a victim, you're a victor. You're not a worm, you're a warrior. Right? He said, listen, I, I did, you see what I did to the tree, guys? He said, if you say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and don't doubt in your heart, and believe those things which you say shall come to pass, Jesus said, you'll have whatever you say. Amen. Now, will we ever need to use that kind of power in this life? Probably not. But isn't it good to know you got it if you did? Yeah. Isn't it nice to know you probably have way more power than you'll ever need in this life? Right. Jesus said, whoever says to this mountain... Be thou removed, be you removed, be cast into the sea. If that person doesn't doubt in his heart and believes that those things which he says shall come to pass, Jesus said he will have whatever he says. People say, oh, you're going too far. I don't think we've gone even close to far enough. The Lord was constantly trying to raise his disciples' faith. I mean, he said when he had to calm that storm, he looked at Peter and said, well, where's your faith, man? I was asleep on a pillow. You waking me up saying, Pastor, don't you care that we perish? They, I mean, their boat was in jeopardy. Water was coming in the boats. And the Lord looked at them and said, where's your faith? Great question. Where's your faith? Implying Peter could have done something about that. I noticed two things that God manifested in the flesh got stirred up about. Now you think, what, what would stir up God? <laughs> right? His name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Jesus is God with us. Now, he left his power in heaven and came as a man, but he's still God. And there's two things he marveled at. Number one, he marveled at great faith. To think that God would marvel at anything a human being can do is amazing right there. He marveled at the centurion's great faith, called all his disciples and said, come here, come here, guys, come here. I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, where it's supposed to be. This is a Roman soldier who understood authority and submission because he was a soldier himself, which has a lot to do with understanding faith. He understood respect and honor, and that has a lot to do with having strong faith. Because really, what is strong faith? It's honoring the Lord like he didn't lie. And that soldier knew if the Lord says something, it's got to happen. Just like if I say something, the soldier's got to do what I tell him to do. If I'm told to do something, i got to do it. Here's a Roman soldier. They kill you for not obeying. He knew. He had it ingrained in him. And he recognized the Lord had authority. And if he speak to disease, my servant would be healed. Well, it happened. And the, and the Lord said, I have not found so great faith. And then it said he marveled. The Syrophoenician woman, right? Said, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you even as you will. And her daughter was healed in the selfsame hour. No longer vexed with an evil spirit. Because mommy came to Jesus and got into some faith. Power shot over to their home and she was delivered. So he marveled at faith. But it also said the Lord marveled and got stirred up about unbelief in a negative way. How many think we should feel about things the way Jesus feels about things? He's really stirred up in a positive way about faith when people operate in faith. And he's also really stirred up in a non-positive way about unbelief. Especially when people know better. Because there's two kinds of unbelief. 
This scripture says that things that are seen, now apply this to your life. What's seen in your life right now? Health, sickness, prosperity, poverty, blessings, not so good blessings, not, not, not so good things. Well, I wonder if those things that are seen in our lives have anything to do with the invisible stuff in our lives, like faith, fear. Hmm? Well, this scripture right here says things that are seen don't get there by things that, you, that, that appear. They get there by invisible forces at work. And so what's happening in the earth today is many people will get these physical or natural or let's just call them three-dimensional problems in their life and they start trying to fix those problems with things they can see. Natural stuff only. And that's fine. Use the natural stuff. God's given men ability to come up with natural cures and remedies. Praise the Lord for that. But what about when there is no remedy? What about when there is nothing in the earth realm that can fix your situation? Well, here's the thing you need to realize, church. Man saying there's no hope for you? That is not Jesus saying there's no hope for you. All things are possible to him that believes. Jesus said. But I thought it was interesting. What should we be looking to if things that are seen in our life are not where they should be or not where we want them to be? Well, maybe we need to go a little deeper than what's seen and ask ourselves, what's going on in this unseen part of my life where faith operates or where fear operates or thoughts or attitudes? If things which are seen were not made of things which do appear, then that means things which are seen were made of invisible things. And this is an interesting thought. Now, I hope this isn't too heavy for you on a Wednesday night, but I've been a pastor for over 30 years of this church. Started when I was one year old. <laughs> I'm kidding. I lied. I'm sorry. Um, thank you for thinking I only look 30, 30, 32 years old. I appreciate that. But I've learned this through the years, and I've got you know, scriptures to back this up. A lot of times what happens is people will get a bad report. Everybody gets them. It's called adverse circumstances. It calls, it's called you have an adversary, right? Who's roaring around, roaring around like a, roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. There's, there's flesh. There's people that make wrong decisions. There's these things that come against us at times that try to make life really difficult for us. And at times, make life really difficult for us. But the issue is this. The big deal is really not getting a bad doctor's report about a physical problem in your body. That's a deal, but according to God and some of the things we're talking about tonight, that's not the big deal, and you really shouldn't be worried about a bad natural report. Many reasons, but let me tell you one reason why. Because the big deal is not that they found cancer in your body. That's a deal. It's a biological issue. Most of the world will say, that's a huge deal. What are you talking about, preacher? It's a deal. But the big, are you right, right? The big deal is what are you going to believe about that report? Faith is strong stuff. Fear is strong stuff. And when you hear things like that, the enemy's going to be right there to try to get you in fear so that that thing can go deeper in your life, so that it can expand in your life and increase. Did you know Job went through a lot of terrible stuff? I mean, his kids died. 
Right. I mean, he lost his business. He was the wealthiest man in the East. And all these storms came and all these robbers came and all this stuff happened. And like almost overnight, he's like broke. His kids have died and he's now getting boils all over his own body. <laughs> he had a bad year. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. I mean, we know people have lost children, too. It's, it's not fun. Job knows how you feel. Not fun. It's called a very bad year. But did you know about one year after all these trials and troubles, the devil hit him, chapter 1 says. The devil hit him. After about one year, because Job didn't give up. Now, he wasn't perfect in that year. He said a lot of things he shouldn't have said. At the end, he, he, he realized, Lord, I repent. I said some things. I put my hand on my mouth. And he started praying some more. And God said, okay, you pray now. Get up. And go pray for your friends. You know, those counselors that were giving you all this weird counsel. Go pray for your friends. And it said when Job prayed for his friends, the Lord turned his captivity. Everything turned around. I don't know if he got remarried or his wife got converted or what. Because chapter 3, his wife said after all these things came upon Job, she's like, she's like freaked out. She goes, Job, curse God and die. What are you doing? He says... He said, oh, you're one of those foolish women. I'm not going to listen to you, lady. I may not know why all this stuff's happened, but I'm not going to give up on God. Right. And even James talks about Job being an honorable man and enduring suffering and not giving up. And so after about a year, the Lord turned again Job's captivity, and he became twice as rich as he was 12 months ago. And he was already the richest man in the East. It said he had twice as much substance. He said he had the, most, he had the fairest daughters in the land after that incident. Um, he was happy. He lived like another 140 years or something like that. And the dude was like blessed. So just a little side, side nugget here. If you, you know, you're going through a test, you're going through a trial, and you feel like you're Job, rejoice. <laughs> I mean, you may be having a... Because Job did not stay in his mess. No, he did not. He did not die in his mess. No. If you're Job or you think you're Job Jr., you should be rejoicing. His end was amazing. He got restored. Life was great. The Lord helped him, had mercy on him. But I really think Job's about as bad as it gets because the Lord does that. He puts examples in the Bible that we'll never even get close to just to give us hope. I mean, if Job could get free, you can get free. If he got delivered, you can get delivered. If he got restored, you can be restored. And he did. But in chapter 3 of Job, we get a little insight as to why some of these things were able to happen in his life. Why the enemy was able to attack. He had a hedge around him. And something broke part of that hedge. And the serpent bit him. These are his own words. In Ecclesiastes, it talks about when the hedge is broken, the serpent will bite. And Job said this. Are you ready? Job chapter 3, he said, The thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of has happened unto me. How many know it's a good idea to, to not let fear dominate you? How many know it's a good idea to not stay in fear and have great fear all your life? Job said the thing he greatly feared has come unto him. Well, that's like negative faith that attracted the things he didn't want. Well, what does faith do? It attracts the things you do want and you do need from the Lord. No wonder the Lord says over and over and over and over again, fear not, 
Fear not. Be not afraid. Fear not. Don't fear. Be not afraid. Fear not. It's all over the Old Testament. It's all over the New Testament. Why? Because it's, a, it's an avenue for the enemy to start trying to do things to your life. I'm not saying if you get in fear a day or two or three or a week, you got a problem. Bad. He said the thing I greatly feared. But you want to just stay away from all of it. And feeling afraid doesn't mean you've given in to fear. Right. How you act and how you talk is more important than how you feel. John Wayne said that courage is feeling scared to death, but saddling up anyway. See, courage does not mean you feel wonderful all the time. It just means you act the way you're supposed to act in an honorable way and you get things done. Feelings, no feelings. You have to act against feelings many times in your Christian walk. So look at this now in Mark chapter 9. We've got to close here in a minute. But Mark chapter 9, my question to you is this as we get ready to close. What's the problem? What's the problem? What's the problem? Most people are going to say the problem is the economy. There's no jobs around here. My boss is unfair. My parents were so poor I couldn't go to school. What's the problem? Financially, what's the problem? Oh, people just don't treat me right. There's just no work around here. What's the problem? Well, according to a lot of the scriptures we've just read, and the one I'm going to read now, the big problem is not what you see, feel, or hear. The big problem is not believing when you know you should be. Because look at Mark chapter 9, verse 23. Mark chapter 9, Jesus said unto him, this is a man who had a son, was having epileptic fits, came to the Lord for healing, and the man said, Lord, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus turned it around and said unto him, if you can believe, father of this child, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Now, if all things are possible to him that believes, then healing from cancer is possible to him that believes. Believes what? Well, believes what the Lord said about healing. Believe what the Lord said about praying in faith. Acting according to... Healing from HIV is possible. Not to people that are perfect. Not to people that never made mistakes. Thank God. But to them that believe. Now, if healing from cancer is not possible to them that believe, then Jesus lied and we got a big problem. I'm going to go with he didn't lie. And maybe we need to study faith in all areas. It starts seeing it work in some of these other areas, like it's worked with forgiveness of sins, our salvation and going to heaven. Maybe we need to start releasing faith for the other promises that are in the Bible and building our faith in these areas so we can see some of these things in our life as well as forgiveness of sins and knowing that we're going to heaven when we die. You can be strong in faith for prosperity and weak in faith for healing. And being weak in faith for healing isn't a bad thing. It just means you've got to develop some more faith in healing scriptures. Many times Jesus told people, Hey, oh ye of little faith, and where's your faith? Why did you doubt? He wasn't putting people in bondage. He was helping them. Man, if that's going to help, tell me. Don't tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what's going to help me. Sometimes people get freaked out. They say, oh, you're saying I don't have any faith. Not what we're saying at all. You may be bigger and stronger in faith in some areas than I am. But this works in every area. Right. 
And if all things are possible to him that believes, then that means miracles for any area of your life are possible to him that believes. This makes understanding what faith is very important. So if, if faith or believing can fix anything, what's the problem? The sickness? The, the disease? The depression? The bad habit? I'm not saying they're not problems, but what's the big problem? What's, what's the problem, guys? What's, what's the biggie? What's the problem? Not believing. Which is connected to some other problems. You're going to have to make some adjustments in your lifestyle if you want your faith to increase. You can't just keep doing what you feel like doing and have strong faith next time a crisis comes. You might have to cut the TV off for a while, get in the Word for a little longer, right? Control your tongue, quit messing up your good prayers with bad confessions like your prayers didn't work. And that's one thing the Lord's dealing with me. But let me just share this with you in closing. There's, there's a lot more we could go to. The children of Israel were delivered out of Egypt by Moses. And they were supposed to make about, I don't know, a three-week journey from, from Egypt to the Promised Land, to Jericho. But 40 years went by, and they still weren't in. They're going round and round and round and round and round and round. They had a problem. You know what it was? unbelief and this was not an ignorant unbelief this was a step deeper Paul said before I knew Jesus before I met him on the road to Damascus I was a blasphemer I was injurious I persecuted the church and I did these things ignorantly in unbelief that's ignorance unbelief that's not as bad as this other rebellion unbelief you've seen his works you've seen his miracles you've seen his signs and they kept tempting God and they kept disbelieving and they kept complaining and they kept murmuring and that whole generation died in the wilderness that was supposed to go in the promised land God said this land is for you guys you right here all you million plus Jews this is for you the promised land is for yours go the grapes are this big yeah there's giants yeah there's walls but really they're not the problem See, most people are saying this is the problem when this is the problem. Well, we can't go in there, Moses. The giants, they eat up the the inhabitants thereof and the walled cities and the chariots and they're strong and they're bigger than us. And they're saying the giants are the problem. The giants are the problem. Joshua and Caleb and the next generation proved the giants were not the problem. What's the problem? Hebrews chapter 3 says they could not enter in because of unbelief. And the Next verse, the same verse, the surrounding verses says that unbelief is also translated disobedience. When you know what the Lord told you, and you've seen His works and signs and wonders, and you keep rebelling time after time and complaining and murmuring time after time, now you're not in ignorance unbelief, you are in rebellion unbelief, and that's called an evil heart of unbelief. And it provoked the Lord to anger. And they didn't enter in. I know the Lord's been dealing with me about this. He's saying, son, believing and not believing is a lot more serious than my people realize. Huge. God said that the spies that came up from searching out that land, when they came up and they said, you know what? Yeah, it's a great land, everybody. Yeah, there's grapes there bigger than you can carry with one man. But there's giants in the land. And they eat up the inhabitants thereof. And there's walled cities. And, 
And we were in grasshoppers, as grasshoppers in our own sight. And we were grasshoppers in their sight. And the Bible says they brought up an evil report of unbelief when they were searching the land. See, we think evil is this word and that word and this curse word and that curse word. God says what they said was evil. Oh, there's giants in the land. We can't go up at once. No, you guys, we can't take the land. Joshua and Caleb said, let's go up at once. Let's take the land. They had another spirit about them. They were like conquering. Let's do it. They saw the same giants, same walls. Why are they in faith and all these other bunch are in unbelief and afraid? That's what each individual has to ask themselves. And I know the Lord's been dealing with me about this. I, I actually had to repent five times in 48 hours for messing up a good prayer that I prayed. I am done praying prayers and then talking like they're not working just because I hear a bad report about what I prayed about. I'm taking this way more serious than I've ever taken it before. We prayed for a situation about 48 hours ago. Got in faith. Bound the devil. Claimed victory. Stood, at, stood on the word of God. Believing for this certain thing to happen. And I don't know, like 24 hours later, I'm saying things like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I didn't cuss or anything, but sometimes saying, talking against your prayers is worse, it's just as bad as cussing, if not worse. And so I'm saying all this, and the Lord checked me and said, son, you just destroyed a really good prayer. Thank you for uh, taking... Thank you for, he didn't say thank you, but he said, you just destroyed a really good prayer and you just shut the door on my ability to work in that situation. And I said, Lord, here's what people got to do. Realize this is serious stuff. This is really serious stuff. If faith gets you to heaven and unbelief keeps you out of heaven, I say that's pretty serious stuff, even in all these other areas. I figured, man, if God let somebody go to hell because they didn't believe, he might let somebody die with sickness, even though it's not his will. Here's the interesting thing. It was God's will that they go into the promised land. It was his will. He told them, I've given you this land. Go take it. It's yours. It's yours. Can you not have something God wants you to have? It happens all the time. All that, God may want somebody to have something, but just because he wants them to have it is no sign they're going to enjoy it. You have to possess what he provides. You have to, they had to possess the promised land. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says all those things in Israel, in the wilderness, were done as examples for us upon whom the ends of the world are come. We could learn a lot from those wanderings in the wilderness. So stand up with me or I'll, I'll go longer. But, but this, this, is what, this is what the Lord told me. He says, son, so I had to repent five times because the pressure was on. And the circumstances were freaking, and they were, they, were, it was, they were freaking us out. And I was like, and five, everybody say five times, five. within 48 hours. Within 48 hours. <clears throat> I messed up a good prayer five times in 48 hours. And this was a serious thing. This was a very serious issue here. I had, to, and we did, didn't we? And then, and then I just knew, this, even just this morning, I said, we've we got to get in faith about this thing. We've got to get in faith because... We've got to shut the door on the devil here, and we've got to believe God to work. You don't want to keep praying prayers and start talking like they're not working just because something flares up about what you prayed about. God, watch out about that, church. That's the enemy trying to get you out of faith. I personally believe, and I've seen it in the Scriptures, it's probably more important how you act and talk after you pray than just how you feel while you're praying. Mm-hmm. You may feel like, oh, I prayed a great prayer. So what if you get out of faith two hours from now because right. something flares up? Right. 
It didn't say prayer saves the sick. It says the prayer of faith saves the sick. So I want to encourage every one of you, if you're going to pray a prayer, find scriptures to back up your prayer. Healing, God's will, prosperity, wisdom, deliverance, strength. Find scriptures, then pray your prayer. And then from that moment forward, talk like your prayers are working no matter what pressure or report comes your way. Do what you got to do in the natural, but talk and believe that God heard you and things are happening. Stay in faith about it. Unbelief is bad stuff, especially if you know better.